This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. A lot of you pick on me, and good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. A lot of you pick on me because I rigidly adhere to the policy in our workplace that all food that's in the refrigerator has to be labeled. It says clearly on the front of the refrigerator, all food has to be labeled and dated. Otherwise, it's going to be thrown out on Fridays. And I do my part by trying to eat the unlabeled food that I find appealing. So, as you know, a couple minutes ago, I was kind of, um, you know, kind of hungry. And see, again, this is the problem with working out. <laughs> you end up getting hungry all the time. I have no idea. I think Gnome's a runner. Maybe we'll bring this up with him next hour. So I see an unlabeled small container of macaroni salad, okay? And it's like, it looks like the macaroni salad that would come with a sandwich or something. So I grab the macaroni salad, take a, 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 a forkful of it. I have to tell you, this was the most rancid, disgusting, sour, uh, bitter macaroni salad that I've ever had in my life. And I've had some bad macaroni salad over the years. It was awful. Could not even swallow it. Spit it right into the garbage, which tells me that it has gone bad and it it should have been thrown out. So had I not been there to sample this macaroni salad and determine that it was no good, it would have been there for days, weeks, who knows, Probably making everything else in the refrigerator stink. As um, Jennifer, you know, uh, Jennifer, uh, well, what's her name? The actress. I, I really like her. Jennifer Lawrence. As Jennifer Lawrence's character in American Hustle said when she destroyed the science oven inadvertently, much to the chagrin of Christian Bale's character. Thank God for me. Thank God for me. All right. Um, <laughs> I want to bring this to your attention. I have been very leery of sending my DNA to one of these DNA testing websites. And there are a a bunch of them out there. Ancestry, I think MyHeritage does it, and one of the biggest ones is 23andMe. And it's, you know, and I get how cool it is. I would love to connect with biological relatives that I don't know. I, I think it would be so much fun. My wife did this. She met an aunt that she had no idea existed and had no and who had no idea who she was. And but for joining Ancestry, she never would have known. And I'm really into genealogy and family history, and especially because, you know, my family's history in this country only goes back a couple of generations. I bet you there are descendants I have all over the world, or if not all over the world, at least all over Europe. I'd love to be able to connect with them or at least learn about who they are. And, you know, I realize why this is such a popular thing. But my hesitancy in doing so is 
once you give your DNA to a stranger, you don't know what they're going to do with it. You don't know if they're going to sell it to a marketing company. You don't know if they're going to give it to law enforcement. And we've seen that with the Golden State Killer case and elsewhere. Well, now, I think I have been somewhat borne out because a couple of things are happening. One, we are seeing this company, 23andMe, they were hacked. They were hacked. And this is exactly what I feared. And a lot of the people who were hacked, their DNA was exploited, and a lot of folks were put in a very bad position. This genetic testing company, 23andMe, is now being accused in a class action lawsuit of failing to protect the privacy of customers whose personal information was exposed last year in a data breach that affected nearly 7 million profiles. This lawsuit, which was filed on Friday, or no, no, actually a couple of weeks ago, in federal court in San Francisco, also accused the company of failing to notify customers with Chinese and Ashkenazi Jewish heritage that they appeared to have been specifically targeted or that their personal genetic information had been compiled into specifically curated lists that were then shared and sold on the dark web. Imagine if this was your DNA. In fact, if you are an Ancestry customer, maybe you don't have to imagine because, uh, not Ancestry, uh, 23andMe, maybe you don't have to imagine because maybe this is what happened to you. So this suit was filed after 23andMe submitted a notification to the California Attorney General's office that showed the company was hacked over the course of five months from April of 2023 through September of 2023, before it became aware of the breach. Think about that. You are handing your DNA over to a company. And by the way, I am sure this is true for the other DNA testing websites as well, that had no idea that their information was hacked for five months. Let's let's think about that. Does that make you feel good? Doesn't make me feel good. According to the filing... The company learned about the breach on October 1st when a hacker posted on an unofficial 23andMe subreddit claiming to have customer data and sharing a sample as proof. The company first disclosed the breach in a blog post on October 6th in which it said that a threat actor had gained access to certain accounts by using recycled login credentials, old passwords, etc., Bad news. Bad news all around. And now there is a lawsuit. Here is an anonymous man who is in this class action lawsuit. It's you at your most finest essence. Um, You you provide a saliva sample into a tube and submit that. He doesn't sound happy. And I don't blame him. Sorry, I'm just eating a peanut M&M to get this rancid taste of terrible macaroni salad out of my mouth. All right, so you got that. Then it comes out last week that the this company, 23andMe, is very low on cash. The company has yet to turn a profit, and 23andMe could run out of money as early as next year. Run out of money. Let me ask you a question. What do you think they're going to do with your DNA when that's the only asset that they have left, when they're out of money. Well, 
We don't have to imagine because uh, as of yesterday, the CEO of 23andMe has said that their business is in a tailspin and their CEO is assuring investors there's still plenty of money it can make on your jeans. They're saying, they themselves are saying this, that mining your DNA data is its last hope. So 23andMe is in this death spiral. Almost everyone who wants a DNA test already bought one, so we don't know where their future market share is. There's this nightmare data breach that ruined the company's reputation. The stock is so close to worthless that it actually might get kicked off the NASDAQ. And now the CEO is on a crisis tour promising investors the company isn't going out of business because they have a new plan. 23andMe is going to double down on mining your DNA data and selling it to pharmaceutical companies. Now, this is what's going on now. Imagine where we're going to be 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, where we don't know the financial health that any of these DNA companies could be in. And they could be selling your DNA to all sorts of bad actors in order to make a dime. No, thank you. No, thank you. I don't want them selling it to a pharmaceutical company for me. Why? So they can market a drug for some ailment that I don't even know that I have and that I need this drug in order to survive, and they're going to they're going to charge forty five thousand dollars to uh, to me in order to make sure I don't have Groats disease. No, thank you. So I feel kind of validated for my decision, as tempted as I am to d- submit my DNA and explore my family history. I feel validated in my decision not to do that. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. By the way. On the DNA front, one of the uh, newsletters that I like to read is The Ethicist. It's in the New York Times Magazine. And I I bring up a lot of questions that they have in that uh, newsletter on here. And I'm always interested in people's responses. On that note, a couple of days ago, there was a very interesting question. Ancestry tests produced shocking results. Should I tell my family? This is what the person wrote in to the ethicist. My cousin recently told me that he would never sign up on the 23andMe or Ancestry sites because that's how suckers find out they're adopted. Maybe I should have listened to him. Last June, my stepfather and I visited Norway to meet paternal relatives. I've heard about and spoken with but never met. It was the most amazing trip I've taken in my life. These relatives were so kind and loving, we hit it off like we'd known one another forever. They showed me where my great-grandfather grew up and detailed my family history all over the country. During the trip, I made plans to return. I also started taking Norwegian lessons, but when I did analyses from both 23andMe and Ancestry, my Ancestry companion didn't align with what I expected. It turned out that my paternal aunt is actually my half aunt. My dad's dad likely isn't my biological grandpa. And I'm likely not related to my family in Norway after all. Now I'm feeling some imposter syndrome. It feels dishonest to go back next year and not divulge my findings. What are my ethical obligations to a family I might not be related to at all. 
on the one hand, a significant part of me feels I should reveal this information. I've asked several members of my close family, and they all disagree. They're of the opinion that I was raised in this family, I'm part of this family, and that nothing good will come from me disclosing this news. I can't shake the feeling that I have an obligation to tell them the truth if I do the trip next year. What do you think? Name withheld. I'd love your answer to this. 800-848-9222. Now, uh, for those of you listening in markets where this is the first hour of the show that you're carrying... One of the things that I uh, talked about last hour was uh, Mike Turner, uh, Congressman Mike Turner, uh, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, basically saying that he he basically calling on the Biden administration to uh, reveal, to declassify information that's related to national security. And it appears this information is related to Russia. I think Turner handled it very poorly. But in my view, um, the two things that that this makes clear, if it is about Russian hypersonic missiles, is one, how wise it is to have a space force, and two, why we should pursue peace with Russia. Uh, David had called last hour on, on that front, and we told him we'd give him an opportunity to chat. Hey, David. Hey, uh, good evening or good morning again. Now, what is a Russian hypersonic missile? Because that's what I you misspoke said. missile. You know what I mean. I please well, after you're, you're, after a couple well, hours, you know, I start you, sounding you, like uh, uh, Joe Biden or Donald Trump. I was going to say you need to be retired. You've reached uh, the point of dementia, Frank. <laughs> you're but, probably um, right. But on on a serious uh, note, um, you know what? I'll switch up and adopt the topic that you're discussing currently um, on the subject of this DNA and the family potential not real family members, I I think this person does have an obligation to disclose. I'll call him Olaf because he's potentially Norwegian. Um, Olaf probably should disclose this to his Norwegian um, alleged relatives because let's say they want to leave him some money in their will or something. He isn't entitled to that because he's not really a family member. I mean, I think, you know, he's basically a potential pretender. I think that's the correct term. Uh, to their family, and he should disclose that. I, I would want to know if someone was showing up at my family reunions every year, and it turns out they weren't really a family member. You know, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting point that you raise because I had a friend that was adopted, and he met his biological mother as an adult, and she lived in a, in another country, not not a faraway country, in Canada. And basically, once he reconnected with her and his biological sisters. They get along well. They get they get along better than the family that he grew up with. And within a day of meeting my my friend, um, his mother said, "Oh, we, I have to have my will redone now to make sure this fella is included along with everybody else." Someone else that I know that was adopted, they uh, when when their uh, adopted parents died. Their adopted siblings, who she grew up with and loved, actually made a point of trying to give her less of the estate because she was not a full biological sibling. And I thought that was really kind of a rotten thing to do in their part. But I get what you're saying, because some people do put a lot of faith in biology. And maybe, you know, maybe they would still give money to someone who's not a biological relative if they're just a you know regular f- a family member. But maybe they wouldn't. That should be up to them. I agree with you. Right. And, and one last thing about it. Um, you know, he seems to have developed a close relationship with these people. Um, I don't think the truth would necessarily kill that relationship. Neither do I. And even if they're no longer family, 
Maybe they'll just be friends. What's wrong with that? We need more friends. Everyone needs more friends, I think. So this could work out well whether the truth comes out or not. So I think he should tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. I completely agree, David. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hey there, Neil. Hey, Frank. Two things. Number one, about the DNA. Uh, My friend took that Ancestry.com testing. It came back that he, uh, my friend's Italian, and it came back he's 10% Jewish. Oh. I said, said, Paul, how can you be 10% Jewish? Number one, it's a religion. How do they figure it out? He says, I don't know. So I said, oh, welcome. Welcome, Paul. (laughs) Welcome to the tribe. So does he get an invite to uh, Passover Seder now? That's right. But a month later... He gets another letter from them saying they made a mistake. He's only 1% Jewish. Ah, that's a bummer. So you drop from 10 to 1, you know. So I, so I, I don't believe it. I think it's a lot of nonsense. And I, I wouldn't want to uh, uh, base my life or my relationships on the, on, on the silly test from Ancestry.com. Um, the second part is this thing about Mike Turner. Uh, everybody got their, uh, their panties of the bunch uh, over his announcement. And, and they, everyone was scared. Then we find out it's about Russia uh, exploding nuclear weapons, uh, launching them from space. Now, I remember speaking to Dr. Sky um, probably a couple months ago, and I asked him about if we have anything in, in space that would shoot down uh, uh, other satellites or uh, enemies. And he said, yes. So I'm wondering, how does Dr. Sky know about it? And uh, the guy in the intelligence committee doesn't know anything about it. Well, first of all, I mean, he's not, I mean, again, we don't know what this information is, but I guess, you know, Mike Turner is not necessarily talking about American capabilities. He's talking about what we're now learning about Russian capabilities, but that's a good point. Uh, I'll ask uh, Dr. Sky when he's on this program next week about that. That's a good point. Joe in the Queens. Hi. Yeah. uh, Let me give a comment on both of the subjects. On the hypersonic missiles, Russia does have them. But they might not be as accurate as they're said to be in terms of hitting pinpoint targets. That they uh, accumulate so much heat, they're so fast that they could land. Say they were aiming for New York, they could land in say almost like Mexico. That's how off it could be from the target, which is also dangerous. Now, on what happened to privacy, the CEO, uh, these pharmaceutical. Uh, for example, Folsom Inc. from China makes a decent percentage of the Pfizer COVID shot without any, allegedly nothing is labeled as to what it is, is in it when it comes to Pfizer by some whistleblowers. And China is very interested in Americans' DNA, and you can't say that it's, it's for uh, good reasons. So the CEO is a monster to even say that to uh, investors, that he'll take people's private uh, information like that. Well, it's, it's a she. It's, it. it's a she, the CEO. But yeah, yeah. yeah she, she should just accept that the company tanked and leave it at that and not trying to. She should probably be put in jail. Well, I mean, I don't know. Yes. I'm, I don't yes, know if I'm right. going that far. What, what, on what crime? Uh, well, uh, it's something given in private. Uh, uh, w- suppose the bank gave away your all your banking in- uh, information to everybody on the planet, Frank. Well, I, I, I mean, I think that's what this class action suit is about. I mean, I think that's yeah. why they're trying to get 
money out of her because they're saying, and I agree with them, and I, if I were on the jury, I'd vote in favor of the plaintiffs right away. They're saying that essentially the uh, they didn't take the proper safeguards to make sure their data was secure. I think prison is a different thing, uh, Joe, but I, I, I understand the sentiment behind what you're saying. All right. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. And also in a moment, um, the latest on the Cat Chronicles of Ed. Oh, yes. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Thank you. I've got you under my skin. I have got you deep in the heart of. So deep in my heart that you're really a part of me. I've got you under my skin. I've tried so not to give in. And I said to myself, this affair, it never will go so well. But why should I try to resist when, baby, I know so well that I've got you under my skin. The great Frank Sinatra, under my skin. Uh, This is, again, a bumper music selection from our listener of the week, Jerry and Grace, wonderful listeners. And uh, they were very honored to be selected because they rarely call. But they, uh, you know, they meet most of the other ten criteria that we, the other nine criteria that we adhere to in looking for a listener of the week. So, uh, to catch you up very quickly, my uh, my sister-in-law, Sarah, lives all the way out in eastern Long Island with my mother-in-law and a couple of the other siblings. And they have a cat or two that lives in their house. Additionally, um, they take care of cats outside. And one of the cats that they were taking care of, that really my sister-in-law Sarah was taking care of, was a cat known as Best Friend or My Best Friend. Sarah decides, she gets along with this cat so well, she decides to start taking him in the house. And uh, it's not working out for whatever reason. She takes him to the vet. It's not working out for whatever reason. I think he does something aggressive. She renames names him from my best friend to ex-best friend. That's his name. Uh, my mother-in-law does not want the cat there anymore. Um, I don't remember what the specific reason was. And Sarah asks Rachel, my wife, because we had just lost two cats of our own. And Rachel was looking for company for our third existing cat, Prissy, she asks Rachel, will you take ex-best friend? Rachel agrees, and we decide to take the cat home and try it out. 
And that was about two or three months ago, and it has been a very difficult three months. It's been great on the one hand because the ex-best friend, who my wife has renamed Ed Best Friend, so we'll call him Ed, Ed has uh, is very friendly with me, with Carmine, with Rachel, and he's just very friendly. He loves to play. He's a good boy. He is just a wonderful cat. He's not only very handsome, but he's just uh, very kind, uh, at least to people. It has been a disaster on the other hand because he and Prissy are not getting along and Prissy is urinating over everything and Ed keeps attacking Prissy. So we're trying to get Ed adopted. Okay, that's the that's the plan. He's got a, an interview with a potential new home on Saturday, I think. Okay, that's you're now caught up. So my wife tells me yesterday she's going to take him to the vet. She doesn't know if he's been tested. The only thing my sister-in-law had him tested for was rabies. He doesn't have rabies. So my wife says to me she wants to test him for feline AIDS and whatever else. I don't remember what else, but I think maybe feline gonorrhea or, you know, feline whatever. I don't know. And she takes him to the vet yesterday, and then I get the debrief later that day. The good news is he doesn't have feline AIDS or anything else. Clearly, he's been having protected feline sex. And the bad news is the Rachel is telling the veterinarian who she trusts a great deal and vouches for this guy, really likes this vet. She tells the vet exactly what I just told you, but in more detail about the aggressiveness with Prissy and everything else. The vet tells her, you ready for this? The vet tells her, I never say this. I don't know that I've ever said this. But this cat needs to be outside. This cat should not be an indoor cat. This cat is meant to be either an outdoor cat or an indoor-outdoor cat. And he said, I never say this. But he needs to work out his aggression. And if he's been in the house with uh, our other cat, Prissy, for two months and things haven't improved, they're not going to improve. They're only going to get worse. And this cat is only going to get more destructive in terms of if he doesn't get the opportunity to work out his aggression outside. So that threw my wife for quite a loop. So our plan at this point is to have this woman that's coming over to interview Ed on Saturday, meet with him and hopefully fall in love with him. And then she's going to tell her exactly what the vet told her. She's going to be very honest with her, but she's going to wait until Ed wows her a little bit with his charm. Then I said, well, look, if that lady doesn't want her, what about us keeping him as an indoor-outdoor cat? She didn't love that idea because, one, she said she would worry about the cat whenever he was outdoors, and also, she, you know, you know, we're, we're going to go on vacation again eventually. She doesn't know what to do when he's on vacation. Does he just stay in my office the whole time? Does he stay outside the whole time? How do you handle that? So she didn't love that solution, but she didn't completely close the door on it either. And she said, I don't know what that does to Prissy. If he still remains in our house part of the time, what is he going to just stay in your office at night and then be outside during the day? Is that what we're going to do? So there's some logistical hurdles, but that's the latest. A veterinarian has said that this cat does not belong indoors full-time. He's got to do the snowbird thing. Outdoor, indoor. There you have it.
That's the latest on the, the cat chronicles of which I'm living. Uh, but the on the plus side, I am wearing f- articles of clothing that are completely free of cat urine today, which is a big accomplishment. We got our black light yesterday, and um, I, I, I thought my wife was going to be much more excited about it than, than she was. I, I said, here, now we can tell where there's cat urine all the time. And she said, I don't need a black light to tell me there's cat urine. You know what I can do? I can smell cat urine. And unlike you, who apparently is so oblivious to it that they're putting on pants with cat urine, I don't need a black light. So I, I'm going to use the black light and hopefully find some cat urine. It's like the indoor version of um, having a metal detector. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Brian Kilmeade uh, joining me next hour, as well as Noam Laden. We'll go through the news of the day with uh, with both of them. Robert is in Suffolk. What's on your mind, Robert? Hi. Um, well, you're talking about the cat. and Actually, I'd like to try and help you with that. All right. Well, so now, help me. Did you have Ed separated from Prissy? Yes. Like have Ed, Ed live in a bathroom for a while? Yeah. Well, he lives in my office. Yeah. Okay. So he was in a separate area for a while. How right. long? Well, I mean, he's still separated. So it's been about two months. Okay. And how were they introduced? Was it gradually? No, I, I explained this. So I don't want to retell the whole story again, Robert, but my, my brother-in-law let him out of my office before he was supposed to. And, um, and no, it was not gradual at all. My brother-in-law, Jared, the one time he's ever visited our house, let this cat out of my office. And it, it uh, was a, quite a rude awakening for Prissy. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I would put a collar and uh, rabies and name tag with information so you can get Ed back if, God forbid, he becomes an indoor-outdoor cat, which he can get, you know, pests like fleas and whatnot, and then bring them in the house. And that really is a nightmare. And also that you can get the cat back if somebody finds him, if he can't find his way home. Right, right. Um, I've introduced cats gradually to each other, keeping the one that's new separated. And one by one, just let each one of them go in there for a few minutes and see how they react to, to each other. And... They've been inside, the new cat's been inside the bathroom, separated, till he's medically cleared for like, anywhere, like three to six months Mm -hmm. until everything was done and the vet says, okay. And then I let them mingle, but only one at a time for a few minutes. Then, then the older cat comes out of the bathroom and I let other ones go in one by one and. See what happens. See how they react and act with each other. And uh, usually by then, they're okay with each other because they're used to smelling each other. Cats have a 8,000 times greater sense of smell than humans do. Dogs are 10,000. All right. So well, they're, uh, very they're helpful. They're very familiar with each other. Yeah, and again, that I, reduces, yeah. reduces the ter- territory. Territoriality. Yeah, thanks, Robert. I'm not sure that's too helpful in my situation. You know, it's almost talking to Robert, and I like Robert. He's a good guy. There's been a couple of weeks where he's been a finalist for Listener of the Week, but he he just can't seem to close the deal. Um, there are days when I'm talking to Robert where I feel like I'm Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin. 
I'm asking the question, hey, why'd you invade Ukraine? And Robert's explaining the history of the domesticated cat going back to the year 862. So, you know, it's just, uh, it can be frustrating at times. But, you know, unlike, uh, you know, Tucker didn't have the ability, unlike me, to just move on to another autocrat. John is in Maryland listening on WCBM. Hi, John. Hey, how are you doing? I am just peachy. Thank you. So just touching, well, first of all, my heart goes out to you with cats. I got rid of them a long time ago, but I understand. But now going back um, to DNA conversation you're having earlier, mm-hmm. um, I've been retired for like eight years from D.C. Police Department. I was a detective. And there was a time, sometime in like the mid, the early, around 2010 maybe, so if your house if your house was broken into, we come out there, do inventory, do crime scene search stuff, and we swab for DNA. We were mandated to ask you, the homeowner, for a DNA sample, even though a suspect has yet to be identified. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Really? Like, order. Yeah, it's like we're ordering to do it. So I would tell a homeowner, hey, listen. I'm being required to tell you this, but this stuff's going into some database somewhere, and I have no clue what they're going to do with that. But from a law enforcement's perspective, it's actually good because we've closed out, you know, lots of cases. Like, you know, your brother got his DNA taken, and then they tracked you down as doing murders 15 years ago. I mean, I see that aspect, but... Oh, so do I. So do I. I I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, again, the fact that they caught the Golden State Killer, it's a good thing. I mean, it's great that he's in prison now for these crimes, but I I don't know what's... um, violating your Fourth Amendment. Exactly. Exactly. I'm so glad that you, as as a retired cop, see it the same way. Oh, I saw it when I was there. It was ridiculous. You know, I grew up with DNA when it first started handling shootings, like, in 96. I mean, me and federal prosecutors, we were naive. We had to, like, take classes to learn, all right, what's all this stuff mean? Um, but, yeah, it's come a long way. And I never did ancestry, and I advised everybody in my family not to do it. Just why give that stuff up? Exactly. I mean, it sounds like we're on exactly the same page, John. John, thanks for the call. Appreciate you listening. Spread the word for us out there. 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in Original Jersey. Hello, Rick. Yes, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Uh, quick, quick thing about this, that I completely disagree with him. Um, let me catch my breath. I, uh, outside cats have about a life expectancy of five years, as opposed to 15 inside. And uh, clearly, Ed just needs to be in a one-cat house. That's all. He doesn't need to be outside. If he was trying to get outside, he would constantly be trying to get outside. He'd be staying near your door, ready to scoot out any time you well, open the door. Well, he does. He does do that. He does do oh, that. Oh, oh. Well, then he might need indoor and outdoor. Just somebody that has a big backyard that he can go out and stay in the yard, and maybe something like that. Yeah, it could be. No, but he does try to jet out um, every uh, opportunity, even when I go into the garage. To take the garbage out into the garage, he runs into the garage. He's eager to get out. When I come in the front door, he's eager to jump out. He no, he definitely has some uh, some wanderlust. Rick, thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. 
other side at midnight with Frank Morano. This great song, uh, Black Superman, all about Muhammad Ali. It was uh, on this day in 1978 uh, that Leon Spinks decisively beat Muhammad Ali in a 15-round split decision that was actually pretty one-sided. Everyone agreed uh, Spinks had the better of Ali. And uh, honestly, at that point, there's no reason Ali should have still been boxing. And I, I think the fact... You know, we talk a lot about that. People that stay at the dan- stay at the party too long, that don't leave in their prime. And that's what I was wondering about John Stewart. Should he have left at the top of his game? You know, we see so many people in different fields, acting, writing, boxing, uh, you know, radio, stay long after their prime. And all they do is damage their legacy. In the case of Muhammad Ali, again, not to second guess him, I'm, I'm sure he needed the money as well. But in the case of Muhammad Ali, he not only damaged his legacy, but he seriously damaged his health. And uh, there's no way you're going to tell me that that didn't contribute to his Parkinson's disease. There's no way you're going to tell me that. And then, um, you know, we got into this discussion with Tyrell Ventura the other day about all these wrestlers that died. So many wrestlers keep wrestling long after they should have retired. And I said to Ty Ventura, the smartest thing his father, Jesse Ventura, ever did was retire very early and make that move right to the uh, right to the microphone. He could have kept wrestling. Could have kept wrestling for another five or six years. Easy. And especially back then, he was in great shape. <clears throat> but he made the wise decision to move to commentary. But yeah, it was on this day in 1978 that Leon Spinks beat Muhammad Ali. And then uh, Spinks's brother, Michael Spinks, then had a pretty historic fight against uh, Mike Tyson in Atlantic City at uh, at Convention Hall. They're just starting to bring boxing back to Atlantic City. By the way, very pleased to be heard this and every week on uh, Talk fourteen hundred W O N D in Atlantic City. We've got a great audience there. Speaking of Atlantic City, and this could be true of any city in America, there was one thing that really stuck in my craw. The Atlantic City Housing Authority, you know, it's public housing. They've known for more than a month that it would temporarily relocate 19 families from Stanley Holmes Village this week to fix sewer pipes. They knew this for more than a month. They had to fix the sewer pipes there. Okay, that happens. And they have to relocate everybody. But they didn't tell the residents until Thursday. 
They knew for a month they were going to have to relocate all these people. They didn't tell the people that live there until Thursday. The families had to be checked into the Claridge Hotel by midnight. Now, I like the Claridge. A lot of people don't, but I, I, I actually love, uh, you know, I like it. Um, according to a notice dated February 8th, they had to get themselves to the Claridge with clothes and cleaning supplies, and no provision was made for cooking or pet care. And that was an administrative decision they've known for at least a month. Why in the world? Weren't residents given more time to prepare for the relocation? And, uh, and the last thing I'll mention on the, on the Atlantic City front, but this is a battle that's being fought in New York City and a bunch of other places, is the latest on this uh, needle exchange facility. You know, one of the complaints that I get from people that visit Atlantic City is, you know, you walk six blocks away from the boardwalk or one of the hotels and you run into drug users. And the people most aware of that are the local politicians in Atlantic City. They don't want that. And there's this needle exchange facility where, you know, drug addicts go to get their, their fix. And sometimes they're, they're right near there. They're defecating and doing all sorts of things that if, if you're supposed to be a tourism resort, it's the last thing you want. So the city council voted to move the needle exchange facility. Well, now the South Jersey AIDS Alliance and Atlantic City have settled a years-long lawsuit over the city's only needle exchange facility. It's called Oasis, one of the largest of its kind in the state. The city passed an ordinance two years ago, three years ago, we talked about it at the time, to shut down the facility run by the Alliance, which provides clean needles to drug users, among other services, leading to a September 2021 lawsuit seeking to keep it open. So this settlement approved by Superior Court Judge Michael Blee last week, permanently bars the city from enforcing the ordinance that sought to close the needle exchange, and the city acknowledged that it has no authority to terminate the operation of the needle exchange in its current location. If the city makes a land-use change that could impact Oasis's operation, the city must give a 10-day advance notice. Both sides must meet. If they want to relocate the facility to make a good faith effort to find a mutually agreeable area in the city. I think this is really bad news for the city. People were really excited about the prospect of closing this needle exchange facility. The democratically elected city council at Atlantic City voted to close it. And during the lawsuit, the governor signed a bill into law that scrapped the requirement that a municipal ordinance be needed to authorize and close a facility, giving those powers to the State Department of Health. So if you're an Atlantic City resident, you want to know why you still have this needle exchange facility, be sure to thank Governor Phil Murphy. Be sure to thank him. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we have chatted about this hour. Let me say hello to Judy in uh, Michigan listening on uh, AM 910, the Superstation. Judy, 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 what's going on? Hello, Frank. Um, I I just want to say you have a great show, and I am very uh, touched by how you are trying, you and your wife, to make this work with this kitty. I've... um, had a lot of uh, feral cats that I've brought in. Some of them are older, and I just wondered. Um, not it, it. It's kind of a thing you didn't mention. Did does this uh, kitty get fixed? Yes, uh, my sister in law when when he was living with her, she oh. took him to the vet and had him uh, had him fixed. Yes. 
And how long ago? Sometimes it takes uh, a year or two, I've heard, for the these, uh, you know, the the aggressive type of react uh, actions that a, a male cat, especially when they've had a late neuter, like not right away when they were young. It could take time for that to get out of their bloodstream. Well, I hope so. Um, it was, I, I want to say it was about five or six months ago. Um, but, oh, uh, not that long. Yeah. No, so maybe maybe he will diminish. And, you know, he's still young. He's still about a year and a half old. Oh, he is, yeah. So okay. uh, that would be great. I'd love to see him calm down. I'd love to find a way to keep him. I, uh, but, you know, obviously, you know, Prissy has been with my wife for eight years. She had Prissy long before I was in the picture. So, um, you know, you can't just tell Prissy tough you know you gotta she's got the she's got the home field advantage yeah of course um and also there's uh, you didn't mention there's there could be a uh mental kind of calm down medicine too so it would be a little you know somewhat of a something you didn't talk about and um it could help chill him well you know, we've tried pheromones. We even tried CBD yeah. oil. Um, so, so far, nothing has worked, but we'll keep trying. We tried a special collar. But, Judy, I appreciate the call and the, and the, advidence, and the advice. Larry Walters on Twitter says, enough with the cats. Well, you know, again, I didn't expect to talk about them that long. People kept calling in. I don't know what to tell you. And I felt like you were owed an update. And the update was just that, you know, I only give you an update when there's an update. Right. And the latest was that uh, the veterinarian says that he's meant to be an outdoor cat. So I don't know what to tell you. 800-848-9222. Matt is in Florida. Hey there, Matt. Hey, good morning. Morning. I was thinking about your uh, issue with the cat. You're pretty. I I know you went up to Ulster County and did some event up there a while ago. You should look at a farm up in Dutchess County, Ulster County. They probably take your cat. Well, I mean, I I think that. Um, well, I'm, let's see how things work out with this lady this weekend. And if they don't work out with this lady um, this weekend, then uh, we may just bring him bring, bring him back to my sister in law. So we'll see. I'd love to get him adopted again. My perfect scenario is I'd love to keep him, but that seems less and less likely. Joaquin in Pennsylvania. Hi, Thanks, my friend. I'm going to tell you. I think that I intrigue you. And I would like to stroke you like a purring pussy cat. And I will tease you with something. You know, I got a bad news from the doctor today. I'm going to have time on my hands. And perhaps I should try. That's bad news for me. Suing. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I know. But perhaps I should try suing Bill O'Reilly for infringement of copyright or plagiarism. But anyway, that's just a stroke. But, you know, your cat, I used to train horses on the side as a hobby. Tra- train them. I train them how to lay down and to shoot off the back of them. And I used to go down to the barn and spend hours there. When I was laid off, I was working for a horse transportation company. And there was a feral cat there. And this cat was so friendly. It would come at the end of the day when I would sit down and have coffee and come and scratch at my leg and climb up on my lap. But when it came right down to it, it was an outside cat. And when it saw a bird go flying across, it had to go after the bird. And there's no two ways about it. You probably should give the cat back to where it came from because uh, it's just in the cat's nature. Okay. Well, I mean, you you concur with the veterinarian on that one. 
And, you know, I actually called about Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler, why everybody, see, you jump around on, on topics, but uh, why does everybody go back to Hitler? If you think about it, everything you see on TV, and there's another radio show I listen to, I don't think you want me to say the guy's name, but, you know, he's a veteran, and uh, he always talks about communists and anti-communism. But the problem is, is that everything that you see on TV, on History Channel, no matter where you turn, it's been about Nazi Germany and by Adolf Hitler. You know, so it's so easy to go to Adolf Hitler because nobody really realizes that the, the communists killed, I don't know, 250 million people or whatever. You know, the number is untold. But the problem is, is that the only representation you have of any evil on this earth is when you, you know, when you watch these programs is of Nazi Germany. Uh, well, that's fair. That's fair, Joaquin. Joaquin, thank you. Best of luck with your situation. Um, there's something called Godwin's theorem. I may, I may have mentioned it before, but basically Godwin's theorem is no matter what you're discussing, you could be discussing the stock market or uh, professional wrestling. The longer that argument goes, eventually someone will bring up Hitler or the Nazis. And whoever is the first one to bring up Hitler and the Nazi or the Nazis, that person automatically loses the argument. I think it's a very interesting, <laughs> very interesting axiom. All right. Um, we, we got a lot more coming your way. 800-848-9222. Until then, your influence counts. Use it. Use it.